Hey everyone, before jumping into the episode, I want to tell you what topics you may want to be aware of to prevent any triggers. Some topics include depression, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, chronic pain, inpatient or residential care, etc. So just listen mindfully. We're also touching on the transgender community and I really love what we've got planned for you today. This is a wonderful episode and I learned a lot and left this conversation filled with hope and new insight. And I'm just really excited for you all to hear what my friend Christina has to share. So, hey, Christina. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. Hanging in there is my response nowadays. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. So, uh, we were just kind of talking and catching up um, without all of you listeners. Sorry to leave you out. But, um, (laughs) but yeah. So, today we've got a couple of topics that we're going to discuss. As I had mentioned before, you started this episode. So, like I said, just listen mindfully. Um, And all that jazz. So, cool. Uh, I want to jump into just kind of right away with COVID and being a mom during COVID and online school and just kids being home a lot. It's not something that I can obviously speak on. Um, I can speak on being home a lot and stressing out my parents, (laughs) but in a different way. (laughs) So um, I guess just share whatever you're comfortable with, but share your experience with that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been really challenging, not only just being being home. So you have a global pandemic. It's new. You have young children. My children are 8 and 11. And dealing with explaining what's going on, why we're staying inside, why we can't go, why you can't spend the night at your grandparents' house. Um, it's stressful, for sure, um, especially when I'm already depressed. I'm already having problems with my mental health. But, um, you know, at first we made the best of it. You know, we baked cakes and bread and did crafts, but you hit a point where it's just not their mental health is, is being impacted on the fact that they're not seeing anyone. They're not going anywhere. And, um, what do you do as a parent? What's safe? It was, it was miserable. Um, it was hard, um, for sure. So, um, and, and especially for Andrew, mm-hmm. my eight year old, because he already has anxiety. I don't know if you knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, so having, helping him like he's got, they have great counselors at their school. Okay. Oh, such good counselors. So he was able to do FaceTime with his school oh, counselor okay to kind of go through it and talk through it. And then she sent him a letter over the summer. Um, Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So finding those areas where we could reach out Mm -hmm. to to get help, um, just navigating this that nobody knew. And then there was a lot of stress and pressure around what to do when school starts back. Do you keep your kids home? Do you Mm -hmm. send them to school? People aren't wearing masks. Should they be wearing masks? I, it, you know, mental health of the kids versus, you know, c- catching COVID or bringing COVID home. It, it was, it was extremely stressful, and it was one of those things with parenthood where nobody has the right answer. Yeah, you just kind of have to go with your mommy and daddy instincts <laughs> and your gut, and do what's right. And we actually started the kids off digital. Okay. Yeah. Because. 
they didn't require masks for the kids in our county and we weren't really sure and really for us a lot of it was <clears throat> hospitals were being overcrowded we didn't want to add to that mm -hmm. you know we weren't as as so much as we're i mean of course we didn't want to catch covid but we also didn't want to to be out there possibly spreading it if we didn't have to be mm -hmm. but we learned really quickly that our kids did not do well at home trying yeah. to do school it just wasn't there wasn't equity as far as learning mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, my kids are too smart for their own good so they were bored and falling behind from their peers so we ended up sending them to school and it was the best thing we could do um, and luckily everything has been has been good and that definitely helped that definitely yeah. helped good. yeah no I know I definitely have some other parent parent friends as well who their kids were doing online but it was like half and half mm -hmm. so the kids who were in school it was kind of obvious like who was really kind of being taught during mm -hmm. those hours oh yeah which not to say oh the teachers were doing that on purpose or anything but it's so hard I mean as a teacher myself doing all the kids on zoom yeah it's already hard. Oh, it's miserable. So. I, it's miserable. And I'll tell you, like, I don't, like, our, we are, our school is amazing. Mm -hmm. I really, like, I, I love it. Clark Creek Elementary, woo, it's the best. <laughs> um, and I know they did their best, mm -hmm. and they and they did their best with what they had yeah. and how, how to manage it. But, you know, Evie was done with school basically she, from, she did school basically from, like, nine to eleven thirty and then there was a whole not a whole lot more going on. And right. she's in fifth grade and I'm like, their other kids at school are going all day and I know they're learning more. Mm -hmm. Her teacher, amazing. I loved her online teacher. I, I know her, she's wonderful. Her daughter is one of Evie's friends. She did great. It's just they didn't have the resources. Yeah. yeah. And then like my you know, you did online my sister mm -hmm. teaches middle school in Bartow County and she had to teach both online and in-person kids because she's a music teacher oh yeah and the connections teachers have to teach both like how do you do that right i mean that's double the work for you yeah. like it, it just um i'm i am not happy with how the school districts planned for for it but i also mm -hmm. know it was a huge challenge on how to yeah do it right and make it fair and then, of course, there's kids without technology and the and Wi-Fi yeah, and yeah. and the the schools did their best to provide provide everything to students who who didn't have it. I mean, we were privileged enough to have kid computers for our kids and things, but um, the whole thing has just been very challenging. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people lacked empathy. Mm. In the whole thing which made it worse yeah because they aren't thinking about how other people are having to deal with it and how it impacts them and if you're a parent that's working like I'm not working right now and even if I was my husband was working from home for the most part but there's a lot of parents who didn't have that they had mm -hmm. to go to work and what do you do with your kids I guess some schools didn't have and you know they only did online and yeah yeah the whole thing was I don't, I don't know. We, we just hadn't planned for something like this, I guess, yeah. as a as a nation. Um, but. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember going on Indeed.com and just trying to find, like, any work I could. Because um, this was more so at the beginning, too. And it was before I even started treatment, I think, that 
I was trying to find nanny jobs. I was like, well, people are going to be going to work. Well, most some people, if they were uh, qualified, like went under essential businesses. Yeah. Um, and I was like, so, you know, who's going to watch their kids? Maybe I can try to find something like that. But it was such a hard thing to navigate. And, like, I never ended up finding a job or picking one. But it was really hard to navigate because some people actually had in their descriptions, like, we want you to live here. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't want somebody coming in coming and going. And, going. Yep. and I was like, that's intense, first mm-hmm. of all. Like, especially because you don't know them. They don't know you. But people are desperate. Right. And they just – they need – to make money, but they also need someone to help take care of their kids, and their kids need to be learning online mm-hmm. if they are doing online. Yep. Um, and, and they need to stay safe. Yes. So yeah. So being able to trust whoever's coming, or like I, I understand mm-hmm. as a parent during the, the beginning of the pandemic, especially like I don't want you going. I don't know where you're going. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then coming back to a house. Yeah. Um, and then the families, you know, with multiple generations living together was a Mm -hmm. whole different level or if you had people with high at high risk in your house and you don't that was a big debate and I had to tell my husband to stop looking at message boards because all the fighting that was going on between parents on Mm -hmm. how to handle all of it but um you didn't really have a choice if you had a high risk person at home Mm -hmm. um to send your kids or not send your kids into school right and and I think everyone agreed sending your kids in is best for the children, but it wasn't necessarily an option for a lot of people. Um, but the, this was that lack of empathy where the people on the other side were just like, Ugh, you have a choice. You can send them or don't send them. Mm-hmm. And then if you can't, then there's digital learning. So stop arguing about it. You know, stop yeah. complaining about it. Um, but, yeah, the whole thing. And then we finally did break down. <laughs> um <laughs> Towards somewhere in the summertime, I think things had gotten better overall, but we finally were like, go play. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. just as long as you're outside. Like, we have 11 kids just in our Mm cul-de-sac. There's so many children in this neighborhood. And all of the kids kind of stayed away for a long time. But it hit a point where I think all the parents were finally just like, go play. Like, you Mm -hmm. have to go play. Like, and they did, and they all stayed outside. and, And so... That was another choice as a parent. We had to just, is it okay? I mean, otherwise we're not seeing other people. So um, we felt like, you know, we'll do it. We're not seeing the grandparents or mm-hmm. anyone else. So um, that was that it. I, that was harder for, for Daniel, my husband, to, to make that agree. Like, at first he's like, they have to wear masks. They have to stay six feet apart. They can't. So, um, but we just hit a point where... They just need to be out playing. They need to be around other kids. Mm-hmm. We we bought Evie a phone just so she could stay in contact better with her friends, like like over you know, FaceTime and texting and things right. like that. But um, yeah, yeah, we wanted them to not lose those connections mm-hmm. that they had. Yeah, it's really hard to, like you were saying at the beginning. How do you explain? A global mm. pandemic to yeah. a child. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult. Like, I remember even when I was teaching dance online, I would be like, okay, now we're going to do this chess square, whatever. And then someone would raise their hand and be like, yeah, what's up, buddy? And he <laughs> he would just be like, do you think you could get COVID twice? Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know. Because <laughs> at the time, I mean, obviously, we didn't even know right. what 
would happen. And now today I do know people who have had it more than yep. once. Yes. But like in that March, yeah. I was like, Ugh. I don't know, buddy. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Let's do the, let's do the jazz square. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then, well, talking about March and, um, explaining it and mm-hmm. how it impacted all of our lives, yeah. you and Evie and Daniel were in a beautiful play Yeah, <laughs> that so opened March 13th. I think with like the mm-hmm. day of where we had the stay at home order was looming. Yeah. And you guys had rehearsed and opening night came and it just, and when, it couldn't happen. Yeah. And it's such, a, it was such a beautiful play and it was Evie's first big role. Mm-hmm. Um, and to explain that to her, like, she did. She actually. She kind of just kind of went with it. She. Act, we were really proud of her. I think Daniel cried for a few weeks just because it was such an important and special play for him because yeah. he got to play Evie's father and he is Evie's father and they got to play that role together and um, it meant a lot to him mm-hmm. what that play did. So that was really hard at the beginning. And it's like everything shuts down and you're not allowed to go do this and you couldn't do your science Olympiad competition. It's you know, and then there was the kids that couldn't do graduation yeah. and all of that. I mean, that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's hard. And, um, you know, and, and explaining it to Andrew to where it wasn't going to add to his anxiety too much was mm-hmm. another. Like, Evie, we can pretty tell her straight to the point this is what's happening and she's she's cool with it. But Andrew was the one you have to be a little more, you know, how to explain it. And so he's not going to start really worrying about all the yeah. what ifs. Yeah. Because he'll do that, um, so, so yeah, it's it was definitely it's been it's struggle. I can mm-hmm. see it as a struggle too for all age kids of all ages. Sure. You know, parents with kids different struggles depending on the age, but yeah, yeah, not doing Helvetica though. That was that was a really that was hard. Yeah, and I think that was our full first like. Uh, okay, here's the impact like. Mm-hmm. It's big. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I agree. Because I remember figuring out that the show was canceled when I was, I had just gone to run some sort of errands and then I was headed back to the house to get ready, Mm -hmm. literally to get ready Mm -hmm. to go to the theater. And I got a message from somebody who was a volunteer and they were like, I'm so sorry about the show. And I was like, wait, what? Let me pull over. (laughs) Hold on. And I read the message, and I was like, what the hell is this person talking about? So then I call our stage manager, and I was like, Meg, is the show canceled? And she was like, who who told you? And I was like, one of the volunteers, and she was like, she was like, well, you were next on my call list, so I guess I'll talk to you now. And then I just started crying. I was like, are you serious? I was so disappointed. Yeah. And that show was so beautiful. And you... I'm so, I'm I'm always so proud of you. You're such an amazing person. But the Thank fact you. that you 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 did the music composition, choreography, played multiple roles, you learned point, which come on, that is Thanks. not easy. Thank you. <laughs> and you were beautiful. So I'm glad that they were able able to do a digital version though. Me too. So that people could at least see it um, yeah. from home. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. Yeah. I really did enjoy that experience with Evie and Daniel, too. Like, getting to do the ballerina scene with Daniel was really fun. Um, And having a scene partner that I did trust, like, physically, that would be able to keep me safe, but also emotionally be able to dive into that was, it was really new for me. Like, I've never done a scene where it's, like, 
it's a play, but you're dancing, but it's not a musical. Right. But you're also telling a story while right. you do it. It was really cool. And then with Evie only being her teacher in the past and then eventually getting to be her director, but getting to be her cast member was so fun. Yeah. So I still remember our handshake. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I really loved that experience from what we did get out of it. I don't, I don't wish that, like, I remember when the show was canceled, it sucked, and I wish I had gotten more of it, but I also left being like, but I did take, I did soak up everything I could while I could. Yeah. So I didn't look back with regret being like, oh, I wish I'd gotten closer with the cast, or I wish I had, you know, dived into the role a little bit more, or whatever. I knew that I'd gotten everything out of it that I wanted, mm-hmm. and that I was supposed to. I just wish it would have lasted longer. Yeah. So. Alas, I digress. (laughs) But um, I want to dive into a little bit more about mental health because we kind of touched on a little bit with you were saying Andrew's anxiety and um, but I think everyone in general too. Me, me with my anxiety as well. Being inside for so long was very overwhelming. Yeah, especially because being home, like I consider myself to be an extrovert in a lot of ways. But I only can be when I have alone time to recharge. Mm-hmm. So I think that's more common than people yeah. realize. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then <laughs> having that alone time to recharge, but then having it every day, all day, yeah. became way too much. Yeah. Where, you know, I'll be able to be in my head for a couple hours, be okay, gather myself, and then go out into the world. But now I just have to be in my head for hours yes. all the time. All the time. So overwhelming. Yes. Um. So I want us to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And for me, um, I because I've struggled with depression for quite a while now. Um, but I had quit working because, because of my, my mental health. Mm-hmm. So I worked for 20 years. I, my, I was very career focused. Love my job. Love everything I did with my job. But I just mentally, I couldn't. I had to quit. And I needed to find a way to get my depression more under control. And what I did was I went back to what brought me joy outside of a career, which was theater. Yeah. Because I am an extrovert. And I'm an extrovert usually that doesn't need a recharge. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I need to be around the people. I need I need that. And um, I had gotten back with the theater. I had stage managed Christmas mm-hmm. Carol um, you know, Daniel had done a show in the summer and, you know, we had, this was before COVID obviously, but we had started to build that theater family, yeah. which you're a part of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I needed that, that was therapeutic to me. So being around those people that I trust and enjoy being with and enjoy putting together beautiful art with, mm-hmm. That's therapeutic to me more than anything, more than doing therapy or even medication. Like, that's that's what I needed. And it just, it was taken away. Like, how we talked about it. Helvetica was canceled. I was stage managing James and Giant Peach, oh, which yeah. was going to be one of the next shows. Mm-hmm. And it, it, going from finally feeling so much better mentally because I had what I needed to then now I'm back. I'm just by my, I'm like at home, obviously with my family, but I'm at home mm-hmm. and I, I don't have completely losing those connections and, and it, I, I tanked like it, it, it became really bad with my depression. So mm-hmm. 
that was very hard for me. That that just not and not and not not being able to go out and be around people, um, but also just you know then you're you're worried about the world and what's happening. I mean yeah. it was it was a big deal, obviously. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was definitely hard. Daniel, I feel he's introvert, and so and Evie, and I feel like both of them were like, yeah, we're. We're fine. We're home. We're, but for me and Andrew, yeah. <laughs> who's also my extrovert, you know, it it was it was not easy, um, and I could I could see how my decline happened because at first I was just kind of like I was still, you know, doing okay, but it hit a point where I it was hard to get out of bed mm-hmm. most days. It's like what, what's the point? What yeah. am I doing? And then the guilt because I am a mom and a wife. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, it definitely got really bad. So. Yeah. I think, um, to speak on my experience a little bit as well, that just, I know, obviously being open with, about my treatment process and stuff on the podcast, so I can talk about it a little bit more. It's just like, um, COVID really that big impact we had where everything was stripped away in like 48 hours um, was before I even started treatment and I was still teaching at the time. So we switched over to zoom and um, being home was a lot to handle. And at the time I was still able to work a little bit um, because I was a receptionist at a chiropractic clinic. Mm -hmm. So we were considered an essential business. And so I did get to go in and log some hours in the morning, which was nice. And, um, when I first felt the impact of all that, because after I had talked to our stage manager about the show, it was canceled. I ended up calling um, my friend Allison, crying, and um, she had known about, she was aware of my uh, eating disorder at the time, and I told her, I was like, I feel like I have this feeling of what was the point. Like I had done all of this, what I call quote unquote work, mm-hmm. to um, get myself to a place physically. Um, before the show opened, because I always had a goal with my shows um, to work towards. And the f- this was the first time that um, it didn't matter. Well, it didn't matter overall. I know that now. But in in that mindset, it was the first time where it's like, it doesn't matter how much work I did because no one's going to see it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to cope with that. And I think that that alone, combined with already my mental health issues in general, really started to decline for me. Yeah. Um, and she did say something really wise that made me be like, wait a minute. No, you're right. And I don't like that. <laughs> Where she was like, but isn't it always kind of for nothing every single time you do it? She's like, I mean, show or not. Like, what is it actually for? Mm-hmm. And I was like, ugh. Okay, stop. I need to hang up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so uh, that was a lot to handle. And then... Being on Zoom with my kids, uh, I really struggle with feeling like a hypocrite all the time because of what I struggle with mm-hmm. and how much I know the kids look up to me. Yeah. And the amount of times that I hear them say, like, we love you, Miss Amanda, mm-hmm. or like, we're so happy you're here. I missed you. That, to me, like how you're saying ther- uh, the therapeutic experience of theater for you is way yeah. more than a therapy session or medication. Like, that's what my kids are to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, like just seeing them brought 
so much joy in me and it really helped me I think way more than they would ever be able to understand oh yet at the same time I was like but I'm still like destroying myself yeah. behind the quote-unquote camera like right, outside of right, zoom right and I felt like such a hypocrite right because I was like who am I to be someone for them to look up mm-hmm. to when I have all of these struggles yeah and I treat myself so horribly yep Oh, I can totally relate to that. Ugh. I mean, Andrew was one of your kids mm-hmm. in the spring. He was doing um, yeah, one, yeah, of the, one of the dance, classes. the dance classes. And yeah, my kids absolutely adore you, as do the rest of my family. <laughs> um, but I understand because as their mother, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm their mom, and they love me. and But I feel guilt all the time for not being you know, the mom I, I could be if I weren't dealing with depression and chronic mm-hmm. pain. Um, and I had always wanted, I've struggled with chronic pain for so long, but I've always wanted like my kids to not know that I had pain. But it got to, I couldn't hide it. And they mm-hmm. have to understand why mommy's in her bed today. Um, but sometimes it's it's because of depression and not pain. So now it's like, well, I need to explain this to them because I want them to still think I'm a great mom, even if I'm not there right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's hard when you know how these kids are feeling about you and thinking about you, and in your mind, you're like, no, but I'm not, I'm not this great person. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I'm still in that mode. <laughs> yeah. Just because it's hard. Yeah. It's just hard when you just can't get out of bed, and then... But you have kids, and you you want them to understand um, why. But that's been hard for me. That's something that I've worked through with my therapist recently was I should then really kind of also lends to you starting this podcast is talking about it. Even though they're kids, I think understanding that there's mental health and people have yeah. mental health issues and depression is a thing especially because Andrew suffers from anxiety so we've talked to him a lot about um it's okay to have your feelings and it's okay however you feel in that moment for whatever happened it's okay you need to have those feelings and and process them so they know I go to therapy um, and that I have depression. We've talked about it now because I want them to know. Um, so, and I don't know. We've talked about in therapy having um, a session with all of my family mm. together yeah. with my therapist because I know I'm internalizing a lot of guilt and pain, and they probably see me a lot differently than I see myself. Um, and I, and I, I don't want to have the guilt when I'm like, I can't come do a craft with you right now because I'm not feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah. So having, having a conversation with everyone in my family just to talk about how I feel and then probably... I'm sure they feel differently. I'm sure they're like, yeah, we love you, and it's totally fine. Like, we mm-hmm. don't have any problems with it, but I I do, yeah. and it's hard not to when you're in, when you're the person, you know, dealing with the depression, so, yeah. ugh, 
sucks. I definitely, I want to highlight again on what you had just said about them seeing you in a way that's different than the way you see yourself and how much I as well struggle with that. Um, I was even just literally talking about this with Olivia, actually, um, when I saw her at class yesterday that just like, um, and I know it's different for me and the kids because I'm not a mom, but I'm very passionate about being a mom one day Mm -hmm. and um, being very open about the fact like about mental health's existence yeah. and um, how young it can start. Because mm-hmm. how old did you say Andrew is again? Uh, He's eight or eight. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought eleven. <laughs> Evie's eleven. Oh, okay. Evie's eleven. Yeah. Um, and that's right around like eight, nine, and ten is where depression really started to like um, display itself in me. And at that age, I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. And like, it's it's nobody's fault. I mean. In my family, mental health just isn't a thing that we talked about a lot. And that's just how it is. It wasn't intentional, but it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And um, I had no idea what depression was until I got a little bit older. So as a kid, I called it my waves. Mm. And I would be like, in my head, I'd be like, oh my gosh, okay, I can feel this wave coming on. I guess this is how it's going to be for a couple days or a couple weeks or a couple months or Mm -hmm. whatever. And hopefully the wave will pass and then eventually would. But it always came back. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, so like as a kid, I really, like it makes me excited to be a mom and to teach my kids about mental health and hearing the way that you talk to Andrew about it, specifically saying like how you feel is okay. Mm -hmm. Like I, that's what I tell my kids all the time at the theater because like I said, I want my kids on my own. So I want to, excuse me, invest as much as I can into them with what I know. Right. And in the beginning of Alice in Wonderland rehearsals, like, it, I don't know if Evie ever told you this, but at the beginning of each rehearsal, we did a check-in. Mm-hmm. And I remember them asking me, they're like, Miss Amanda, where did you learn this? And I was like, um, a summer camp. <laughs> I learned it at treatment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, what we did is we checked in, and this is how we check in with every group at treatment. We say our thoughts, our feelings, our issues, and a goal. But instead of issues, I changed it for the kids, and we called it our baggage. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so after you say your baggage, you can decide if you want to leave it at the door of the theater. And the good thing is you don't have to pick it up when you go home. Mm-hmm. You can always leave your baggage at the theater. Oh, I love that. And um, so at first they were just kind of like, oh, my thoughts are in rehearsal. Like, I'm feeling good. I don't have any baggage today. Mm-hmm. My goal is to have fun. Mm-hmm. And I loved that because they were still – owning the space and they were still letting the space know that they were there Mm -hmm. and being okay with taking up that space. And then as rehearsals began going on a little bit more, a few of them opened up. They're like, my baggage today is, you know, we had to put my dog down Mm. or my baggage today is that I really miss my grandma and stuff. And, um, it wasn't like a whole crying fest or anything like it was at the last show (laughs) where we were all hugging and we're like, we love you. But those um, kids were crying backstage the whole time. I literally had to put my false eyelashes back on because I fell off with tears. (laughs) But um, seeing them get comfortable with each other and Mm -hmm. own their feelings and understand. Like, I literally physically saw a click in them that, like, wait a minute. I cannot be okay Mm -hmm. and come to the theater not being okay. Right. And have that be okay. Right. I love it. Oh, it just, it meant so much And those kids really have a bond because they Mm -hmm. have a group text 
I mean, Evie is on, I mean, they just text all the time, but it's all, and I know I go through my kids' phones, so I mm -hmm. read through, it's all very, like, supportive and sweet, and mm -hmm. someone will say, oh, I have a test, and oh, you're going to do great, or someone's in a show, and everyone's excited, it, like, yeah. they're very supportive of each other, and I love it. I mean, yeah. and I think probably a lot of that has to do with how you, you're so great with the kids, and Thank that you. probably helped them bond even more. I love Thank it. You. I do something, you know, if you have children, parents listening will know, you pick them up from school or they come home from school or wherever, and you're like, how is your day? And it's always, fine. I'm guilty of okay. that. I do that. Like, well, what did you do? I don't know. You know, they mm -hmm. don't, they just don't give you stuff. And so I do a um, tell me something happy, something funny, and something sad. Because I wanted, I wanted to check in, uh, um, just to know, like, did anything bad happen today? Did they get bullied today? You, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. you just don't know. And I, so I always like something that made you laugh, so something funny, something that made you happy, and something that made you sad, just so I can get an idea of what happened to them during the day. Yeah. And I, I needed, and we really, I started that um, back when Evie was because daughters transgender mm -hmm. but back um before transition and she would go to school wearing girl clothes or something that people might tease her on so I really needed to try to check in to see if anything was happening yeah. and we would have one-on-one -on -one conversations as well but it's like how, how are things going um and that's just a good way to get them talking about what happened during the day yeah. and it's a great tip for anyone who gets that how was your day? Fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> Every day when I come home from treatment, my mom's like, how's your day? And I go, fine. Yeah. And then I just go to my room. But, you know. And it's I'm 23. It, yeah, you're older. And it is hard, though, too, to come home from, like, a treatment. Or, sure, sure. Because that, like, when people just say, how are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question because, you know. I'm not good. I'm not good, but mm -hmm. you're you're also just you're not asking me because you really want to know. You're just it's just, it's just like you know it's what you say. It's a greedy. A lot of the time. But I hate lying. Yeah, <laughs> I'm such an yeah. open person that I'm just. That's why I started doing. I'm hanging in there. Guess I'm hanging in there. You mm -hmm. know, um, I used to work with the guy that I would say I'm fine. He's like just fine. You're not great, and I'm like no, I'm really not. No. Do you really want to know? Mm. The answer is no. I am not great. <laughs> yeah. At my treatment center, we have, when we say we're fine, um, we, um, who was it? I think it was another client. She came up with that fine means feelings I'm not expressing. Oh, I love it. So when we're there like, yeah, go. we're fine. fine. And they're like, okay, so what are you not expressing? <laughs> yes, that is very true. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I love that, that you did that with the kids, though. Get, getting kids to talk about their feelings and emotions and and the, letting our kids be themselves, mm -hmm. you know, and tell us who they are instead yes. of us trying to tell them what they should be. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, there's like kind of that old school mentality of parenting where I'm the parent, you're the kid, you know, just shut up and listen and mm -hmm. you have to do what they say. Or, and, you know, kids are... I mean, it's a person. They have their own internal feelings. And so you have to, you have to let them express that. Yeah. And they can, and I tell Andrew, like, you can be mad because he'll get mad really quickly. And he's so, you know, Andrew, he's the oh, sweetest, yeah. but he can switch to anger really easily. And 
I'm like, it's okay. You can do, you can be angry, but let's figure out, you know, what it is. Why is it making you angry? And maybe we can find a better, better way to approach the, you know, whatever's making you angry. Yeah. Which a lot of times probably is his sister. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, we bought him several books too on feelings and Mm. um, workbooks that he can work through like things, you know, just to kind of work through understanding it at, at, at his age level. So, yeah. So making, making it, making it something normal that people talk about and that they'll talk about with their children is so important. Yeah. And I think honestly, one can do that as young as like a toddler. Oh yeah. Cause like a lot of the times, I mean, like my nephew, for example, he just turned three. Basically anything he's doing, your first instinct is going to want to be like, no, (laughs) no, don't do that. And that was how it went for a little while because it's so quick and you mm-hmm. just need to tell them like, no, don't do that because it might be dangerous. Right. Or like I remember one time he got the cinnamon out of the cupboard somehow and poured it all over my parents' <laughs> new couch <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thought it, he was just having fun, Yeah. you know? And uh, <laughs> so that, but like in that moment, immediately you want to be like, no, 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 no. Yeah. But my sister started doing this thing, which I really love seeing her do because when a child hears no, uh, well, they're going to re- repeat what you say regardless, mm-hmm. but when they know that no means they don't want you to do that, they're going to say it about everything mm-hmm. to you. Yes. And so having to retrain that, because like they're allowed to say no right. to an extent because they are still a toddler, mm-hmm. so like you want you're in charge of keeping them safe. Right. But my sister started doing this thing where she goes, I understand that you're upset because I turned off trains, but we can't watch that anymore because we're getting ready to leave. Or we can't watch that anymore because you've already watched it for an hour. Or we can't watch it anymore because I'm making you lunch. Right. Whatever it is. Like, she acknowledges, I get it. You're really pissed at me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we also just can't do it anymore. Explaining why. Mm -hmm. And also trying to give give them options. Like sometimes just, they want a little bit of control of yeah. their lives, especially through, oh my God, three is the worst age. I call it three-nager. Oh, I love that. It's, never heard it, that. It, it's a lot of testing boundaries and that's when they're trying, they're becoming their person. Like mm-hmm. they, and then they, they want to just, they want to make decisions. So then a lot of times if you have battles, you can just say, well, I'm going to give them two choices that I'm okay with either one. And then it gives them some of the power back to mm-hmm. be themselves and, take control of their lives. But yeah, it is, it is hard because raising kids, like you, you're right. <laughs> that instinct is just like, no, but it's like, and, and honestly, I, I think Daniel's probably worse at it than I is like explaining, like, mm-hmm. you know, as you're in your adult brain, why you're telling your children this, but they don't get it. Like yeah. they don't, they don't know. So you have to, you have to work calmly <laughs> if you can yes. I yell at my kids too I mean everyone does it but you have to try to um try to give them ex- explanations and get their input well, sometimes at three maybe not oh sure but, sure yeah, yeah but I love that she's doing that and mm-hmm. that is a hard and the the whole sentiment it's like it's all like what's what will happen if I do this like they yeah. just want to know mm-hmm. there are times Evie especially did stuff and I don't it's like, why did you do that? It's like, uh-huh. I don't know. I just wanted to see what would happen. Like, yeah. But, like, I don't even know what it was now. But it's always stuff that's like. Oh, I speared my cra- PB&J on the wall. I just, just wanted to see. Right. It's just the craziest stuff. I remember when I was a kid, I have this distinct memory. Because I used to play with Silly Putty a lot. Mm. 
I don't, you're young, so you probably never played with Silly Putty. Yeah, no, I have. But, you know, you could put it on the newspapers, and it would it would pull off the ink, and you would, I don't know, because oh. you probably didn't have a lot of newspapers, because <laughs> yeah. we used to have newspapers. That's how we got the news, before computers were a thing. Um, but I decided, because, and it would pick up, like, patterns, like, if it was something ridged, like a bat, you know, like this plastic basket that's right in front of me, or a Lego brick, or something. I decided I wanted to see if I could pick up the pattern on my mom's tweed jacket. Yeah. Oh. That didn't come out pretty. My mom was so mad at me. And I remember it. I remember her being so mad at me. And I felt so bad. But I just, I wasn't trying to ruin her jacket. I just wanted to pick up the pattern. Yeah. You know, I didn't know this. So, you know, I remember that distinctly. Because I didn't intend any harm. Like, And so I have to remind Daniel sometimes. I'm like, they're kids. They're doing things just to see what will happen. They, yeah. they don't think through logically what's going to happen. Um, so being, just being as, as open and honest talking to your children, I think, is really the best. Yeah. And I think the newer generations coming up are better for it. I see mm-hmm. a lot of acceptance um, of people for being, like with Evie at school, like when she transitioned, she had no issues. Like kids at school were great. Mm-hmm. They got it. They were like, okay, totally cool. Yeah. You're Evie. That's it. Like, it, it was wonderful to see. Mm-hmm. Um, adults have, are the harder ones, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, but it's nice to see that um, I feel like, you know, my generation, my husband's generation, because he's so much younger than me, but we're raising our children to be more uh, in touch with feelings and emotions and empathy yes. and just, you know, it's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, and your sister's doing a good job, and you will do a good job. Oh, well, you thanks. do with your students. Thank you. I appreciate that. And when you're a mom one day. Thanks. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Knock on wood. Words up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it would be really nice to talk a little bit more on. Um, you touched a little bit on Evie and her mm-hmm. experience, and so I think it would be really good for us to talk about that a little bit more too. Okay. So, um, I don't know. Where should we start? Well, there's a lot. I mean, Evie, Evie has taught us so much. Mm. I mean, just being, you know, we, of course we knew, we knew people, there were transgender people yeah. in the world. It just wasn't our life, you know, and we learned so much more about it from her, but I will say it it is a process, and everybody has to go through their emotions with it. Yeah. Um, her and us as parents, um, and it was it was I think a lot harder on us than it was on her. Mm-hmm. Well, I say that, but I can't say that because I feel like she would have she would have transitioned. And for people, just a little bit of, I guess, because there might be people listening who don't know much about what it is to be transgender, but um, when we say transition, it is a social transition, which is a change of pronouns and a change of name. Mm -hmm. And usually there is, it doesn't have to be a change of name, but pronouns and name, and usually the, the gender expression, so looking like 
you see Evie, she's mm-hmm. a girl. Like, mm-hmm. she looks like a girl. Like, yes. if you saw her walking down the street, you'd say, that's a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so, switching to more girl clothes or longer hair or, or things that would be traditionally or girl. Yeah. Um, so, that's a transition. And if some people who don't understand it think that there's actually surgeries happening, but there are not surgeries happening on children <laughs> yeah yeah right and it's just it's literally clothes yes. <laughs> names pronouns that that's what it is mm-hmm. but she probably would have transitioned earlier um so not that i feel like we we didn't support it we just were it was a very slow process yeah sure from when she started we knew probably when she was a year 18 months that you know, we had a boy, and I was like, this, I thought maybe, 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 maybe this was a gay boy. Like, mm-hmm. at that age, I could tell. It was just different. It was mm-hmm. not what I would see normally with other boys. Like, it was just, it was just the way, and I say she because she's a she, but, you know, yes, it's hard, yeah, it's hard to do it because she's fully female for me, so it's hard to refer to her with any male pronouns. But yeah, yeah. Um, we knew, so we knew there was a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we never really held her back from wanting to express herself, like mm-hmm. fingernail polish and uh, in, in preschool, like that was we did that. And um, yeah. when when she wanted to start growing her hair out, we were totally fine. And then I remember the first girl article clothing was like a, a sparkly headband with a mm-hmm. bow on it and um we were in target and she actually walked up to my mom and she's like can i get this and i think this had to have been maybe first grade so okay. six years old mm-hmm. um and my mom was like yeah sure if you want it like which was wonderful I'm like thank you mom yeah um and then the first day that you know she wore this headband to school as this little boy like oh my god! I mean, I was nervous. I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. Like, um, you know, Daniel was worse. I mean, Daniel was like so worried about the bullying mm-hmm. because he was bullied, mm-hmm. and everybody's bullied. I'm just gonna say that every single person in this world has been bullied. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> it's how you how it impacts you. Yes, like, Daniel was negatively impacted by bullying. I, as a child, I didn't care. Like, you could, I was very, I've always been very strong like that. I just, I don't care what you have to say. Unless you're, like, my close friend. Sure. But if you're someone who I've, I'm like, whatever. Just, you can say your things about me. I, it does, it never bothered me. Mm-hmm. So he, but, so Daniel was very worried about the bullying. Um, I was more worried about her struggling to be be her true self because mm-hmm. of what other people had to say. Yeah. I, I didn't want, if she was trans, to feel like she couldn't be herself because of what other people had to say. But, you know, nobody, everybody was fine with, like I said, but the kids just, you know. So then, she, so we, but we did start seeing a gender therapist so mm-hmm. we could, Evie is so smart she is. And she is a people pleaser, so we didn't want her to do or say things because she thought that's what we wanted her to do or say. Yeah. So I couldn't just, like, go to her and be like, so there's a thing called transgender, and maybe you are. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. 
But because I didn't want her to be like, okay, well, I guess that's what I am because that's what you said. So mm -hmm. we didn't do that. Um, so she saw the therapist. We talked a lot about gender and, and what she felt like on a spectrum from boy to girl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she would, in therapy, she would, you know, say where she was on this, like, like a like, like a little rainbow, boy yeah. on one side, girl on the other. And she'd pick where she felt she was that day. Yeah. And, um... It, it just came out slowly over that she more and more was going girl. I think she was testing to see, like, if I say I'm 60% girl, how are people are going to react. Like, mm. she slowly would. Mm -hmm. She called herself a burl. A she, burl. A bur a oh, I think you had told a me A boy that. and a girl. That yeah. she, that's what she said she was for a long time. Mm. Um but then I, so then, so the more we talked about it, the more she started getting more comfortable being herself. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where we were. And then all of second grade literally looked like a girl, but still went by male name and pronouns. But okay. anyone who saw her would have been like, girl, you know. Um, and then the summer between second and third grade, one of the things we struggled with is, hey, she's been pretty much presenting as a girl for over a year. Mm. Is she going to, does she want to change name or pronouns? Like, I don't know. Um, so her therapist was like, just every day wake up and, you know, cause she toyed around, she threw out names every once in a while, Okay. but we didn't know how to handle Like we weren't sure, like, do you want us to call you this or not? I, I she would just kind of say things and then walk away. Like, mm. I don't know how to respond. Was it kind of <clears> like, Oh hey, I like the same Evie and then right. Boy. Yeah, oh, and it's okay. like, but do you would you you do you want to? Oh, can I tell you? I'm gonna backtrack real quick. Yeah. I probably she was probably six, and she came into my room one day and was like, "Can boys go to the hospital and get their penis removed?" And I was like, "Oh, what?" I was like, "I don't know how to answer this question," but that's when I really knew. Like, that's when I was like, okay, she's trans. I just, I, I still not, I don't want to lead her that way. I just want her to come to, so but it still took a while before yeah. she, but I know I was honest. I'm like, yes, they can. And then she walked away. And I'm like, <laughs> what do I do with that? So, um. I do actually want a quick highlight on that because I think it's important to say this, that like, obviously, like you said, people from generations before us are definitely like, oh, if a kid is trans, it was shoved in their face by their parents or like right. shoved down their throats about this or whatever, just everything they heard. But how is a six, you said six-year-old? Yeah. How is yeah. a six-year-old going to somehow go to the internet? Like, no. I don't know if they had internet no. access at that uh, age. No, 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 no access. And like find that. No. You know? No. So it's just, I think it's important that I we mean, highlight it. Is, it is true. Like she knew there were different body parts. Sure. Like we teach our children. Mm -hmm. Um, and, yeah, it was obvious then that she did not want the penis. Like, that just was not, although, I don't know, she wanted, or that's her decision. Right, but right, she yeah. wanted, it was basically a question of, can you change? And this seems to be what decided if I was a boy or a girl, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is why we, how we say boy or girl. Um, there's a lot to it. It's not, I can't get in, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information yeah. about what it is to be male or female with chromosomes and body parts and all that. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. But we decide our gender 
from our brain. It is not a body part issue. Um, your, your brain is what tells you if you're a boy or a girl. And that is something that is scientific and um, they have shown it and proven it. But it is how you feel. Like, how do you know you're a girl or a boy or something in between? Like, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's hard to explain to somebody, but how did you know that you were a girl? Right. I, you just I, knew. Yeah. Like, you know, knew. You're, you, and it's not because someone told you you were. It's because it's how you feel. And um, so one of the things her therapist had said is, you know, just that every day, just say, hey, what do you want us to call you today? And so I did. And she's like, Evie. And I was like, okay. And then she went to Elm Street mm -hmm. to do a drama camp for the week. Yeah. This is the summer. And she was like, I'm going to go with Evie with female pronouns. So I messaged Siobhan. And mm -hmm. I'm like, here's the thing. Please call her Evie and use female pronouns. Because they knew her from before. Because yeah. she had done other things. She had done other camps and stuff at the theater for the last, since she was, had been five. Mm -hmm. So this is now, she's seven think so yeah um no going into third grade how old would she have been that was in 2018 eight so she was eight so okay. she had been three years doing camps and stuff in the theater and they knew her one way Siobhan was like okay no problem and nobody messed up like mm -hmm. everything was great there was no misgendering all the kids, they didn't know her, so she was just Evie. It was the first time she was just Evie, mm -hmm. the female Evie. Yeah. And it, I could just tell that she just was like, this is it. Like, this is who I am, and it never went back from there. Mm. Never. It, that was it. She, she never wanted to go back at that moment. Um, so it was, it was awesome. It's terrifying. I mean – we're scared every day for her. Yeah. Um, just because, just because we know how society can be. Um, she had to fight. She has not been a big advocate for herself and mm -hmm. until recently. So we, um, she, she kind of hit it. She didn't want people to know who didn't already know that she was trans. She just, because in, in what she's gone through and, we couldn't even get her to talk to us about it much. Mm -hmm. She just, and I think the reason she just wants to be a normal girl. Like she doesn't want it to define her. She doesn't want it to be a thing. She's mm -hmm. just like, I'm a girl. I'm a normal girl. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know, yeah. just let me be. And, you know, we've talked a few times. And, and one of the things she said to me once is, you don't know how it feels to be me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know and I told her I don't I 100 I will never understand how it feels to be a transgender person I and I I don't and I, I feel yeah that's one of the only times she really got emotional I mean she's such a strong she's so strong um that and that broke my heart because I don't know how it feels but I want people to try to know how it feels like I want people to have that empathy for yes. You know, and I've talked, like, my parents are super supportive, and we haven't ever had an issue with them. But it is trying to explain it, you know. And I told my dad, I'm like, how would you have felt growing up 
if people were constantly saying you were a girl and you knew you were a boy. Like, mm -hmm. if you grew up, growing up, they kept putting you in dresses and telling you, calling you by a girl name, female pronouns. Like, how would that have felt? That That is what Evie was living. So it's, it's as simple as that. Just imagine somebody telling you you were the opposite gender your whole life. Um, so she finally kind of broke out of her shell because she will be a great advocate for, she could be, I could see her fighting because she's so good. You know, she's an actress, mm -hmm. you know, that girl can get up in front of people and yeah. speak. Um, so we were doing a bathroom fight <laughs> at school. Um, she'd been using the, the adult bathrooms ever since second grade when she wore dresses to school. Mm -hmm. um, she stopped using the bathroom all day. That's, mm -hmm. She just stopped going because yeah. she was so worried people would see her going in and coming out of the adult bathroom and questioning her. Like to her, it was like a spotlight on her that a kid was going to see her doing that and just know that she was trans like, mm -hmm. or question her about it. Even if they weren't, even if nobody cared, it to her, it was a huge, like, yes, everybody's looking at me. Yeah. Um, and she didn't want people to know, so she just stopped going to the bathroom. I mean, this could be up to 10 hours a day, yeah. just not going to the bathroom. And so we talked to her, her pediatrician talked to her, we were like, that is not healthy. You have to go. I mean, so then we, we talked, the school's always been, I'm going to say again, their school's great. Everybody has been supportive. Her teachers, her principals, they're wonderful people. They can only do, though, what the school board tells them to do. Mm -hmm. And Cherokee County, we're the very southern, like, we are just across the Cobb County line. We're obviously, Cobb County is a little more liberal mm -hmm. in, in the way. But Cherokee County goes way up north, Georgia. So, um yeah, they, they just wouldn't allow her to use the girls' bathroom. So we talked about going into the nurse's bathroom because it's not off a hallway. You have to go into the nurse's office, and kids won't necessarily. But it's all the way at the other. It's like one bathroom, and, you know, it's a pretty big school. Yeah. So we set up to have a meeting because we have all this information on why, based on the school policy, based on um, – state and federal equality um, data policies that we were going to fight it. And we mm -hmm. told her, we're like, if we fight this, people are going to know. Like, this could come out that you're trans and everybody might know. And she was ready. She's like, I've, I'd rather, yes, I'll, it's fine. If everybody finds out I'm trans, great. I, we're fighting it. And that happened right when school closed down for COVID. So, oh, okay. and then, and then she was digital. And then, so once she went back into school, we we're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do this. We got lucky. There was a case that was won in, in Florida on the, mm. oh, I can't remember what circuit something district, whatever it was, it covers Georgia, Florida, and Alabama, I think. Okay. But it was a kid who won. Um, the right to go to the bathroom through like a federal Supreme Court mm -hmm. ruling or some, I guess it was a ruling for that. I don't remember exactly. Oh, don't quote me on it. Daniel knows better than I do. <laughs> but 
But it was a ruling that basically protects these three states. And it's like, if you're going to go against, you know, we would win the fight, basically. So I knew they were kind of changing their tune at the school. But we still met with school operations, and I really wanted them to meet Evie. So she recorded a two-minute video. I was like, just record yourself. Speak from your heart whatever you want to say about going to the bathroom Mm -hmm. at school. And she did it, and she just kind of off the cuff did this video and she basically called people out for being she's like you're it's just stupid to not let me go to the girls bathroom like I'm just going just let me go to the bathroom it does it's stupid to not look I'm a girl I'm going to girls bathroom so it was funny because they watched it and this the director um I think um director of school operations she was like yeah, she just called me stupid, and I kind of loved it. Like, And she showed that to the rest of the school board. Mm-hmm. And it was very powerful. And this is where I'm like, you can be an advocate. Like, I know you can. I don't know if she wants to be in that kind of spotlight because I know other families who their kids have and do, and they get hate, you know, they get death threats yeah. and a lot of hate towards their 9-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. It's it's insane. Uh, they live in Texas. There's a whole thing going. There's lots of bills right now. There's lots of anti-trans bills popping up all over the place. <clears throat> um, but but we won that fight, so she was able to use girls' bathroom. But the other thing that they let us do is they let us unenroll her and re-enroll her in school because mm-hmm. her pass. We have a passport for her that has her new legal name of Evie mm-hmm. and a female gender marker. So. Through the government, she's female. Mm. And so they let us enroll her in school with that so they could change her status. So now she's a female at school. So, oh, cool. yes, she's a female doctor's office. Like, but she is, we can't change her birth certificate, mm-hmm. which tell you stupid ruling here in Georgia. You can't change a birth certificate unless you have a surgery. Oh, and not, all, not and that. not all trans people get surgeries. Yeah, there are trans females that have penises, and that's their choice, and that's fine. So to say you have to get surgery to change your birth certificate gender in Georgia, not all states have that, but Georgia does specifically. Mm-hmm. That's why we got the passport because now we can use that for driver's license. Like this is the kind of the loophole that we use here in Georgia um, is to get the passport and then use that for everything else instead of a birth certificate so so yeah um but yeah that's kind of been her journey but then she won um that trans acting youth competition yeah and we wanted to put it on her resume and so daniel again was like are you okay she's like yes it's fine they can know like like she's totally fine now people knowing i think it was very empowering that there is a trans actor on a Nickelodeon show, and he did this competition. Um, and, you know, the fact that she 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 won, I think there were 12 winners, and she got to do Masterclass with this actor, with Nickelodeon executives. She's gotten a couple of auditions from doing this, where they're looking for trans trans youth actors to, uh, to be in some shows. So representation in in film and in the film industry is great they're really trying to make sure now that not only do they put trans actors in trans roles but they don't just focus trans roles on negative things yeah you know so it's 
I don't know if you've seen the Babysitter's Club TV. Uh, there's, I think, a Netflix mm-hmm. Babysitter's Club, and one of the episodes... That sounds really familiar, though. One of the episodes, they, um, the babysitter is, is babysitting a trans girl. Oh, okay. And it's, also, it's a trans actress. And so it's, it's just great that they're doing, that it's moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Evie felt very empowered, not only that she won that, but that there was all these other kids... And she got to be in class with them, and they were all trans. And there was a trans actor that was doing the class. Like, it's just mm-hmm. to be able to be around other people like her that yeah. understand her. Yes. It, it really helped her just embrace it more and, like, be okay letting people know. So I'm proud of her. I'm always proud of her. She's amazing. So. Wait, was that the... Um... Was that the video I helped y'all do? Yes. The, okay. That was her very first ever yes. uh, audition for film. Mm. So, yes. we I called up Amanda Lynn because oh. I was like, <laughs> I know you know how to do this. Please come help us. Because I immediately remembered, because you said babysitter, and I was like, I feel like the lines were her talking to a babysitter. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. I do remember So, that. yes. You mm-hmm. helped, and she got it. And, you know, we had also sent, um, we have another friend that's done film, um, I think you'll talk, I think you're going to be hopefully talking to his wife, my friend that had the very yes. bad postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but her husband, he's, he's done lots of film stuff. Mm-hmm. So I should, we also showed him like, Hey, what do you guys think? And he's like, that's great. Like everything looks wonderful. So yeah, she killed it. You did a good job. Oh, thanks. No, no it was, we, all we had no idea like how to do cause yeah. She's only ever done, you know, stage. Yeah. So, yes, but you helped, and she she was a finalist and got to have that. And that was really cool. I'm like, you were literally talking to Nickelodeon casting executives. Mm-hmm. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and now there's a, we have, like, they've made a Facebook group for all the people that entered that, so mm-hmm. that that's where we can talk also about other audition That's why I saw oh, the cool. Pixar audition was there, because Pixar had an audition for a transgender girl. So, um yeah, it's nice to have that community, mm-hmm. and um, we're hoping that it's it's something that she she just she's just really proud of. She's mm-hmm. proud of herself, and I'm happy about that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I do also. I want to make sure we touch on uh, touch on another topic too. And it feels so weird because we were just saying, oh, like Evie. <laughs> Not talk about chronic pain and depression. Let's talk about chronic I mean? pain. It's fine, though. Um, no, it's totally fine. Yeah, my life. My life has so many so many layers. Because <laughs> um, I am so so proud of both of my children. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're just wonderful kids. Um, but it... It can link into the fact that I have the guilt that I feel for for me, but yeah, I have um, I have struggled mo- most of my adult life with migraines. But when I and it has negatively impacted me, you know, within work, like missing up promotions because I have more sick days than other people, regardless of my performance being better than others, which is what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I had finally really kind of gotten under control right before I got pregnant with Evie. So when I got pregnant, my migraines basically were all the time. Like it went chronic during my pregnancy. And mm-hmm. that was in 2009. 
So unfortunately, after I had Evie, the remedies that had worked before did not work anymore. So I, I had chronic migraines and headaches pretty much since 2009. And uh, it's so hard and just like mental illness, people can't see it. Mm -hmm. They don't realize they're suffering. Um, Taking lots of medication, um, which I don't like to rely on it, but I have to, like I had to work still. I have now I had a baby. And so you do what you have to do, which is you take whatever medication you can to help you get through the days. Um, but it ended up being as soon as the baby's in bed, I'm in bed, like seven o'clock at night, mm-hmm. I'm in bed. Like I get, or I'd come home from work and just go straight to bed because I'm drained. Like I'm drained with just the pain and I can't do anything. Then that also leads to canceling plans, not mm-hmm keeping those connections with friends so you lose and being an extrovert this is another thing that's really hard for me is losing losing friends yeah and and not that they weren't my friends anymore just that I couldn't you know when you cancel or say no enough times and people stop inviting you because mm. you just kind of fall out of this you know out of the click and then not having theater because I had a baby and so we stopped doing theater. So I, I kind of lost and I had a horrible boss. So when I left maternity leave and came back, they had completely changed what I was doing at work. And I came back to a boss that was probably, I think, Satan. Like she was the worst. So I had all of it kind of happened at once. So chronic pain that just led and then stress at work and having a newborn and not having the friends and I, it was all, all of it happened. So I kind of try to figure out like what, where does my depression stem from? Is it just the pain or is it all the other stuff? But yeah. it does all lead back to pain because at this point having the chronic pain is why I have lost, I have lost myself and this, this, I used to be a very different person and I think I have found in therapy that I'm, tr- I'm trying to be the same person I used to be before chronic pain, and it's not possible. And I need to learn that that's not possible mm-hmm. and find out who I am now as Christina that deals with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's, and that's difficult because I really liked who I used to be. <laughs> um, so, um, but, but yeah, chronic pain just, it leads to so much. And even to the point now where if I'm not really feeling horrible, I fear doing something because it may make the pain come back. Mm-hmm. Does that make, I don't know if mm-hmm. that makes sense. That does make sense. Because I my I have headache, I have tension headaches, um, and migraines a lot of times it happens where I'm like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good. Let me go just do housework. And like halfway through, it's just like the pain comes back or exercising. Mm-hmm. I haven't exercised in years because I would try and they would make to the point now where I'm like, I don't want to try anything because I'm afraid of pain. Um, so it's, it's a vicious cycle um, of, 
I know I should I should do stuff or I want to do stuff, but then I don't do it because I'm worried about the pain. Yeah. And it's it's frustrating because I know my my therapist says that I should myself. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know if your your treatments talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I should myself a lot (laughs) um because I know like like logically like I should eat better I should go on walks I you know there's all these things that I know would probably be good for me and I really would love to do them and I'll literally be sitting there going I should get up and go do whatever fold the laundry or go outside take a walk or you know whatever it is but I won't do it like there is zero motivation and I don't know how much of that is the pain and how much of that is the depression but there is all of it's kind of tied together yeah my depression is linked completely to my pain um so then you have guilt (laughs) because you're like I know what I should be doing I made a conscious decision to not do it and now I'm a piece of shit like mm. that it's just so and it's so and I don't know how to get the motivation to do like I can like all these things I can do that I know would help me yeah theater was good for me in multiple ways because and I've talked to my therapist about this too it forces me to get up and go do it because mm-hmm. now I'm held accountable yeah I have to do it because I'm doing it for other people, with other people. There's a schedule. I can't not be there, although I have missed rehearsals from migraines. Because when I do have a legitimately really bad migraine, there are ones that my medicine can't even keep me out of bed. So that does happen still. But, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, theater is one thing that I enjoy doing that will force me to get out of my house and go do something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's then, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how else to get myself to do things. That's the hardest part. I don't know if that's anything you've struggled with within your depression, yes. but just motivation is so hard. Yeah. I, I don't, and I really don't know. This is where I have contemplated doing an in-treatment facility because there are some that are specifically pain-related. Um, so... Uh, that they can help me figure out how to, because I have no idea how to do it. I don't know. Yeah. I relate very much to um, what you were saying about that vicious cycle of, I know I should go do do something, but I'm deciding not to because of no motivation. So then I'm a piece of shit. Yes. Like I, I was literally just talking to my therapist about this yesterday Uh in our session that, um, and I was getting worked up, talking about it because I do ever since I was a kid I've fallen into the cycle of self-destruction like punishment based where it's like okay I didn't do something I knew I was supposed to do it so I'm going to punish myself but now because I punished myself I did something I wasn't supposed to do which was punish myself so now I'm going to do it again because I'm a piece of shit overall and so but like depression clings onto that so hard I know because you're nodding that like I can speak for both of us on that. And I don't want to speak for everyone out there on that. Um, but just 
for me in general, and I know that you relate to this too, Christina, that just like, and I can even send this back to like Alice in Wonderland and stuff where, oh my gosh, that was the best thing to happen to me. One of the best things that ever happened to me in my life, just in general, because of how it helped me in so many ways, but also just because it was a huge step for me in my career, like my first directing opportunity and stuff. But there were days where my depression was so heavy. I was like, I know I have to choreograph this dance. I just cannot move. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes depression can get so bad, I feel paralyzed almost. Yes. The thought, and oh my gosh, hold on. This also brings me back to this. I feel like we could talk about this forever. But (laughs) I feel like depression is often viewed as this like, this thing that leaves someone very sluggish and like, you know, slowed down and exhausted. And you can just see that they're weighed down and drained. And I think that that's very true and how it can also exist is have it be, especially if it's paired with anxiety, which I know it is for me. I don't know if you struggle with anxiety or not. I have recently. Okay. Yes. Over the last couple of years. Um, I know that like when they're paired together, at least for me, it's, I have all these things that I know I have to do, but I have no motivation. So then my anxiety spikes mm-hmm. up. And I get so overwhelmed, I don't know what to start with. Yes, yes. And I was at treatment a couple months ago, and I had received back-to-back horrible news about a friend of mine, about a family member of mine, and then I was running low on money, and then my parents were like, when are you going to be done with treatment? And then I didn't bring a dinner because I was so overwhelmed, so I only brought a lunch. And I started to panic, and my dietitian pulled me out, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I have a fruit cup, I have a sandwich, I have a string cheese, I have chips, I have this, I have that. I don't know which one to start with, and I feel like I'm frozen. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, how about the fruit cup or string cheese? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I literally, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I don't yeah. know which one to choose. Mm-hmm. So she had to open the fruit cup right, for too. me and mm-hmm. say, you're going to do this yeah. first. Yes. And in that mindset, though, as an adult, is so embarrassing. Yes. And I know that in a treatment center, I'm not going to be judged. Oh, right. <laughs> But, like, as a 23-year-old, the fact that I can't choose what food item I want to eat first because I'm so depressed and so anxious yeah. that another adult has to open it for me and say, eat this. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like, how do you cope with that? Right. How do you? That's, <laughs> but I think knowing that it's not you alone. Mm-hmm. Like, we, you're not alone in it. Like, other people are going through I think knowing that it's not just you. I For me, like, that's a big thing. Yeah. Knowing that this is something that our people are struggling with every day. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people struggling. Yes. And there's a lot of people that don't realize that they're the not the only person. And I think, um, but I, t- I was just telling Daniel before you got here, because he also struggles with depression. And mm-hmm. that's hard when you're both, because he has to... This is a complete, you could probably have a whole interview with him on living with someone with chronic pain. Because that 100% affects him and my children. But um, I get, you know, sometimes when you get really physically sick and like you're, you're, you can't move, like your body's heavy. Yeah. Physically heavy just because of fever or whatever it is. That's how depression will be for me. And you said it paralyzed. Like Mm -hmm. I literally like cannot move my body. Because I'm just, just so far deep in that depression. And it, what can I do besides, like, just break down and cry? Like, I don't know what to do about it. And um, 
have as his wife uh, contemplated going to a treatment facility because Daniel, I can't put it on Daniel to be the one to open the fruit cup for me. You know, that's, but that's what I need. Yeah. I need, I need to be where somebody's like picking me up and saying, go, you're doing this now Yeah. and you're going to go do this and this is what we're going to focus on. And, um, I can't put that on my husband, but that's what I need. Mm-hmm. I need that. Um, and that's, I think, tied into that motivation, too. It's like, what do I do? Anxiety did hit me. I didn't used to have it. And actually, another thing with mental health in general is medications, finding the right things to help you from a medication. Yeah, that's hard. My doctor tried me on it and added an anxiety medication that I had a really horrible reaction to. I gained 15 pounds, and I got almost suicidal. Wow. So I'm like, I had gone, like, within weeks. Like, it was, like, probably less than four weeks. I'm like, I gained all this weight, and I was like, I'm now on the verge of suicidal tendencies, and what is happening? Yeah. Then I realized, oh, I just started this new medication. So luckily I, I put that together in my head because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know what's going on with me. Like, I know I'm depressed, and I know I've been dealing with chronic pain and depression, but this is something, I mean, it got... It was, like, down to my lowest low, almost. Um, luckily, I went to my doctor. I'm like, I don't think this medication is good for me. So we switched to something else, which has been a lot better. But, yeah, that is a whole another layer. No, there's not a word. A whole other layer to, yeah. um, to depression <laughs> is finding medications that will help you and not hurt you. Because you never know. And the same with my migraine. Like, I'm on tons of medication for migraine prevention and migraine treatment. And a lot of those are like anti-seizure or antidepressants. And it's just all, then I'm on all the, this is another reason why a treatment facility may be good for me because they look at all your medications because I'm sure I'm getting side effects from medications like because mm-hmm. I take so many that, um, I mean, and I'm at that level now where my neurologist is just referring me to a pain treatment facility because I, I just need someone. To, I, I'm now, and my therapist has said this, like I need to learn to live with, I'm Christina the chronic pain person, like that's mm-hmm. my life. I'm living with pain. I've been trying to get rid of my pain for over a decade. I don't think I'm going to get rid of it. I need to figure out how to live with it. Yeah. And I don't want to live with it using like hardcore narcotics, in which I don't use yeah. and I don't want to have to use them, but I do need to figure out something that I can yeah. safely use so that I can live my life um, and then somehow cook. If I, if I can start doing things and not have a lot of pain result from it, then it's going to help me with that motivation and the depression. It's all so linked. It's really it intertwined into that, into that pain aspect that, um, you know, some of it, the, you know, some of it medication helps with the chemical imbalances, but yeah. it's, it's that, it's that pain. Like it's, it's really, I don't know if it's PTSD type, but it is, it triggers um, just doing lots of things will trigger. Yeah. I'm going to have pain mm-hmm. and, and that fear. what pain has done to my life. Yeah. Definitely. Completely <laughs> changed it. Yeah. yeah. So, and you're talking about being 23 girl, I'm about to be, how old am I about to be? 47. And you know, I quit working two years ago, like midlife crisis is all tight. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what I want to do with my life now. Mm-hmm. Like, my life was all revolved around me being a biomedical engineer, and I loved it. Yeah. But 
I don't think I'll ever go back to it just because there was too much politics and I don't want to deal with it was too stressful with where I'm at now as mm-hmm. who I am now so I don't know like I don't know what I'm doing with my life <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that necessarily goes away but um I think you're doing great oh thank you thanks <laughs> I ah. do I think you're amazing so thank you um just having people around to mm-hmm. encourage yeah definitely I know with meds, um, adjusting to them and experiencing side effects, like you had said, um, with some of the meds that I started taking, um, I will say, well, have you ever been in an inpatient facility? I have not. Okay. Um, I've never been, sorry, I have hiccups. (laughs) I've never been to an inpatient facility for like mental health alone, stuff like that. Like I had said, I think before in previous podcasts, going to residential for my eating disorder, but also being treated for other mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on no medications whatsoever until I went to res. And um, I, the first one I started on was anxiety. And I remember the first day taking it and being like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hold on a second, because my anxiety does... you can see it exist in my body a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Like I had tics for a while. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what that was for. Like I had so many tests, tests done. We didn't know if it was meds, malnourishment, anxiety, a combination of all three. So it was just this whole thing. But, um, I experienced some, I like, I experienced the med itself, Mm -hmm. like to an extreme amount until your body adjusts. Right. Yep. And then when I started an antidepressant, it was really weird because, the suicidal thoughts that I would get with the antidepressant would increase, but they were so passive. Okay. So like, and she told me that this might happen. So, um, whereas before I was, I would get so suicidal where I was developing plans or like Uh having attempts in the past. And, um, but when I started the med, I would have the bottle open be pouring it in my hand, have to take the two capsules or whatever. And my brain would go, take the whole bottle. And then before I can even acknowledge that I had the thought, it was gone. Right. Yes. And mm-hmm. that was so weird. Yeah. So like, and I told her, I was like, hold on, I'm still having suicidal thoughts. And she's like, well, describe it to me. And I did. And she's mm-hmm. like, that's normal. Yeah. She goes, when they linger, and if, if they stick around and they're persistent and you start developing plans, you need to tell us. Yeah. But the fact that they're so passive and they're gone before you can even realize what it was, that's okay. Okay. And that was really scary at first because because of how intense my suicidal thoughts had gotten, I was like, I don't want to mess around with them even popping in. Right. But the fact that they even now are so, I barely, um, it's not as bad anymore, you know. But but then with inpatient, I will say, or residential with my experience, to speak positively on it, although going for the first time to a care where you're away from your family or away from your friends or your job or just your hobbies and everything is really frightening and um there does come guilt or shame or embarrassment or disappointment in yourself and stuff and but all of that was okay to exist because like as soon as I unpacked my things I was like I'm physically safe right now Mm -hmm. where they hand me a plate of food they fill up my water bottle they uh take me to the bathroom right um they tell me when it's time to shower they tell me what group to go to now. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. They give me my meds and they get me when it's time to take my meds. 
the only thing I have to do is sleep, rest, and be open right. and talk about yeah. what I'm going through. And it was really hard, but it was so freeing. And I think anyone out there who's considering impatient or if that's something you're still seriously considering, mm-hmm. it's scary and it is so to have that weight taken yeah. off of you. Like you said, like the fruit cup. Yeah. <laughs> like we can just use exactly. that as a metaphor. Yes. You go to a place where they're always going to open the fruit cup for right. you and you don't have to worry about it. And you don't have to pretend to not be feeling bad. Yeah. That's a huge, I mean, that takes so much energy to go out in the world and put this mask on of just, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm great. I'm a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with me whatsoever. It, that's why I would come home and just like I would tell Daniel. So I'm, I'm like I'm going to the bedroom. Don't let the kids come. Like I have to just because I have been been cut, just putting this you know brave face or whatever, mm-hmm. just pretending to be a perfectly happy human being for you know the last ten hours, and I can't do do it right now. That I think is is that that weight would be off like going yeah. somewhere where it's just like you tell me what to do and I'm just gonna be myself <laughs> yeah and not have to pretend to be feeling fine today mm-hmm. so that's definitely uh, and and I don't I don't know if I'm making excuses for not going but um I, I've been consulting a little bit which is nice I have an old boss that reaches out to me and it's like mm-hmm. okay I'd like to make some extra money because I have huge guilt for quitting my job because mm-hmm. I made very good salary I'm like oh it's all on Daniel and I feel bad but um so I've taken consulting work a couple times with this one particular person that I know I can work for and not he's a very good boss he doesn't I've had really horrible ones, but so I'm like, well, I'm doing this consulting on the side, so it's not a good time for me to go. And then, and Daniel actually just interviewed for a new position at his company, but it would move us to Mm. Pennsylvania. Mm. So that might happen. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to start something if we might be moving. So there's, I, but I don't know if I'm making excuses or are they really valid reasons to wait? Like, I, Mm -hmm. so that's how, I don't know how it was for you when you finally like made the decision to go. Oh, I was forced to go. So, okay. So (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to get to a point where I'm going to have to be forced by Daniel, but it's Mm. just like, I want it to be a time where it makes sense in our lives and I don't want to go somewhere and then it's like, oh, now we're moving to Pennsylvania and I'm at a treatment facility, mm. you know. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's what I need, though. Yeah. A clinician at my center always says, what do you have to lose? And then I'm always like, well, let me pull out my <laughs> list, ma'am. Yeah. Um, uh, but she says, no, but what do you have to lose by choosing to get better? Yeah. And, That's true. Um, as simple as it sounds, it's very hard, though, to still make the decision of when and where. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's difficult and it sucks that as much progress as I think the world has made in regards to mental health and acceptance of it and just overall acknowledgement that people struggle with it, um, it's still, we're still at a place where it's really hard to make it a priority with right. other things right. in life. Yes. Um, I mean, especially with being a mom and a wife. Yeah. Um, and uh, having your own hobbies you want to do as yeah. well. And so it's just, I want to acknowledge that it is hard mm-hmm. to do that. And you also deserve the care 
that you need to get better and yeah. to, um, I mean, external, internal motivation. Obviously, I know family would be a big motivation for you. Yeah. And, but then also for yourself, too, getting yourself to, like you said, kind of rediscovering who you are yes. with the pain Yes. that you have to live with now. It's like being able to, I even made an Instagram post about this about on my podcast page about allowing internal and external motivation to switch in and out of the pilot seat is so hard and guilt goes so much with that but I'm almost curious I kind of want to ask you if you think it's more guilt or shame because um was it Brene Brown I love her but like (laughs) um it might have been I watched it in a TED talk of hers or something else but I learned it in treatment where they had broken it down for us that like guilt is like okay I did something bad and shame is like I am bad oh yeah I have not actually thought about it I am definitely would probably, I would probably say shame then mm. for me. Like, I do feel, I do not love myself right now. Like, I do feel like, um, I say, I usually say guilt, but it, with that definition, I would, I would add shame there for sure. Um, I think it's easy um, for them to go together. Yeah. I mean, with mental health and mental illnesses, because I know, like, with, I feel like I always bring it back to the kids, but we talk about the kids a lot, so it makes sense. But like, oh, I was too depressed to choreograph this dance. I feel guilty because I did something bad. But then immediately my brain is like, but it's your fault. Yeah. So now we're also going to bring on shame. Right, right. So because you did something bad, you are bad. Yeah. Um, So I think both can exist at the same time, or at least I know they do for me all the time. Um, But it's just guilt and shame are brutal. They are brutal. (laughs) Yeah. And it, you know, and, and I then again talking about comparing myself to pre pain Christina, mm-hmm. I was such a, like, I was so conf, a very confident, a very independent, very, I'm just like a, a very different person than I am now. Like, I'm yeah. just so unsure of myself and I hate it. I have not accepted, I guess, I, I'm still mourning the loss of who I used to be. And even yeah. though it's been years, it's just, I can't accept who I am right now and I hate that because being someone who was always very confident um and didn't let things bother me and I just knew who I was and I and I was very motivated and active and that I think that's that's been such a hard thing for me and so yeah I probably I do have a lot of shame for just who I am and I guess I'm not allowing uh I'm not accepting of it, you know. I'm, yeah. I don't know. You go through those those like, like those stages of grief. I'm oh, just gosh, I'm yeah. to get to get anywhere. I'm like I'm still just I'm mad about it, um, and I, I it it's hard because I sort of have a lot of I don't have a lot of control over the pain that I feel. Like I can't yeah. make it go away, and I'm a control freak. So then that adds to just oh ah, I'm out of control of mm-hmm. my body, physically and mentally, and it sucks. Yeah, definitely. I, oh gosh, I feel like we could talk about grieving forever. (laughs) We're like, I mean, I feel like grieving is a huge part of one's mental health journey. And like I, uh, this is just like speaking from my experience as well to relate to this. I hope it doesn't come off as like minimizing at all. No, no. Um, That like having to grieve who I was before receiving treatment. I call it like the sick me or my sick life. Mm -hmm. Um, But grieving that is still something I either refuse to do. Like, I'm just like, no, sorry, Christine. My therapist's name is Christina. So I'm like, 
Um, I talk about you sometimes to her as well, and rather friend Christina, and it's always good things, and she's like, oh, it's the Christinas of the world. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I'll be like, no, like, sorry, I'm not going to grieve the past me because I still want to be that. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, okay, fine, I've gotten to the depression su- stage of grieving, now I'm back to denial. Mm-hmm. And she says I live in denial a lot, but I deny it. Um, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll feel like I'm in the acceptance stage, but then another thing comes in that has to do with it mm-hmm. that I now, I feel like you have to grieve something, but then something attached to that something has to right. be grieved. Yeah. And yeah. so, like. And it, when, it's con- when it's intertwined with who you are as a person or were yeah. as a person and mm-hmm. so much is a part of that. Because that, I 100% am with you on it. Like, yeah. I do denial too a lot. I'm like, no, I am that Christina. I am still that really strong, independent, self-confident woman. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, damn it, now I'm just mad. Yeah. So, yeah. Ugh, it sucks. Yeah. It does. And then, like, things will come up. Because even, like, when I started stage managing again, it's like, I used to be the best stage manager. Like, the best. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Like, I... Well, I think the, I still think you are the best. Oh, uh, I'm just, I used to be, like, I was so good at it. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do people like me? I don't know. Oh like, am I doing an okay job? Yeah. yeah. But I have so much doubt around it. And it's not, that is not who I used to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't know, it might, just might be opposite. Like, I know, like, when I talk to my friends and stuff, they're like, you are an anomaly. Because normally, like... When you're a kid or a teenager in high school, you're all insecure. And mm-hmm. I was not. I'm like, I was complete opposite. Like, didn't, nobody could, I couldn't, I could, don't care what you say about me. I'm who I am. You know, and I had, I had my friends and I did my stuff and just things didn't bother me. I knew exactly who I was. I knew what, what I wanted to do for a living. And I, and I did it. And that I was very confident in all of it, which apparently is not normal. <laughs> Normally, you're not confident in things when you're young and. Um, so I don't know. So it's really hard to grieve that loss of that person. Yeah. And to have those. So when I do something now that I used to do then, like stage managing, it's like, ugh, it's just time. It's, it's leading me back to remembering what I was before pain, uh, came into my life. So mm-hmm. yeah, I understand. I, I kind of cut you off, but no, no. I, that's what, yeah, yes, okay. I completely understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's just, it's weird to go experience something you've experienced before, but have a whole new um, experience (laughs) with it. And then, um, like you said, kind of rediscovering yourself. You're also reintroducing yourself in a way to other people. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that I also highlight on like, because you were talking about chronic pain and I related to it in the sense of my eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm not romanticizing or glorifying who I was in my eating disorder. Because when I look back on it, I know I romanticize it in the sense of like, oh, I was involved in so much. I was always on the go. I had so much to do and I was always seeing my friends and I was so happy. And it's easy for me to romanticize mm-hmm. that. And then my therapist can kind of you know, check back in and be like, well, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, and then go yeah. through all through the alphabet and have well, all these points. And I'm like, oh, wait, you're right. You're right. So I want to make sure I clarify that for anybody listening that, you know, my sick life, as much as I do still miss it, mm-hmm. and that sucks, I was relating to the part of 
Christine's experience where you have to get used to this new you. Yeah. Um, with this new experience of life and the way you perceive it now. And also, like, going back to activities or jobs that you've done before and doing it differently. Yeah. Or people doing it with other people and them seeing you do yeah. it differently. And you're in a different mindset. Like, yeah. Like, you're just... I'm in a completely different mindset now, but I want to do the same that I used to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. so hard. Yeah. But I, I, I'm just as, but the thing that I think we need to realize, and you know, this is where I'm like, I can say it logically. Oh like, gosh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're still the same awesome. The awesomeness is still there. Like whatever you did, you know, in your previous Amanda Lynn life, even though you were going through eating disorder and having issues, you did amazing things and you can still do amazing things Thank you. who you are now. And I have to do that with myself knowing, yeah, I kicked ass. Like I really was one of the best of what I was doing. I'm not trying to, I'm like conceited, but I was really like, I was really no, good. Yes, like I knew I was that. really good, yeah. but I can still be that mm-hmm. even though I'm a different person now. Like I can still be really good and like, you know, and Brian will be like, you're a great stage manager. But I'm like, aren't I really, did I do an okay job? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I need to know I'm just as good. I just, you know, even though I'm doing it differently or I, I'm in a different mindset in, in what I'm thinking, I just, I need I didn't lose my abilities is what I should focus on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I lost my confidence. And I think that's two different things, right? Yeah, definitely. I still, if I was able to do it then, I can do it now. Yes. I just lost the confidence in myself. So Mm -hmm. that's, logically, I could, like, if I were talking to someone else, I'd be like, no, you're just as amazing. Like, I can tell you. But Mm -hmm. it's, I can't ever... With myself yeah like when when Becky who I think you'll interview yeah coming soon yeah because <laughs> um, she struggled so much with postpartum depression and I'm still dealing with my depression so it's like I understand you but I can tell you how amazing you are and you can get yeah. through it but I can't yeah. say that to myself so I thought I don't know why mm-hmm. like, oh, depression sucks yeah it does it does <laughs> It's so hard for people who don't experience it to like they can logically think about it and mm-hmm. but it's not logical like that's it's like it's it's and it's so hard to explain because I can tell you exactly what what makes sense it's just my my mental I don't know my brain just isn't working that way right now yeah so um, it's so hard to explain to people who don't experience it though I agree hundred percent. Um, a clinician at my center always says, um, I feel like I've just been quoting her, <laughs> like, this whole interview, because I'm talking about, like, literally the same person, uh, one well, of the therapists. she's amazing. <laughs> she is, yes. Um, she always says that, like, um, and this is in regards to, like, relapse behaviors, but I, I'm going to connect it to what you were saying, where she's like, but you can never unlearn or erase the progress you've already made. And I think that whole phrase about how, like, you can't go back and change things. Like, you can't change your past. You can't redo stuff. And it's always said in a negative way where it's like you made a mistake and somebody says, well, you can't go back and change it, so you got to move forward. But I think we also, just in general, with the mental health discussion, I think we have to allow ourselves to gear that towards the positives as well. Mm -hmm. We're like, we did amazing. We might have done something really amazing in the past, and now we're really struggling 
but we have proof and facts that we were capable of doing that amazing thing. Yeah. And just because we're struggling, it doesn't mean that we still aren't capable right. of doing that. Yes. Um, because, I mean, it's just basically repeating what you had said before. But I think it, I wanted to point on that topic about just like you can't change the past. That's true. You can't change mistakes. But you also can't change successes. Right. And why change amazing why are we only did. thinking about, like you focus back on like that negative thing that happened. Yeah. But yet there's like a hundred times more positive things that happened. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, why do we do that to ourselves? <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, just knowing that. And, and, and then, and again, logically we know that, like we know we were able to do it. We did it. We can still do it because we've proven to ourselves we can. Yeah. Um, but, but, but instead I doubt myself. Mm-hmm. So, um, and try to explain that to someone who thinks logically, like, and who's never right. been through it. It's yeah. like, I understand, like, <laughs> I agree with you logically. It's just, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes like with my family, it's just like, oh, just, I don't want you to be depressed. I'm like, I don't either. Like, I don't know. <laughs> We're on the same boat, buddy. <laughs> like, I don't, you can't just wish it into existence. Like, I can't mm-hmm. just be like, I, I shouldn't be depressed because, yeah. you know, it's not logical. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> Um, so I do want to close off. We've been talking for almost two hours. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, this is what I love. The episode I just recorded that for the second episode was almost two hours as well. Okay. So like I wanted minimum like 45 minutes to an hour with yeah. each episode. So okay. Okay. I love that we have been talking this long. Yes. So no apologies. <laughs> but I definitely, I want to close off with this question because I think you're the best person to ask. And, um, I think it's also just kind of like a, oh. Because we've been talking about heavy stuff. Uh We've also been joking around, too, (laughs) because I can't be serious all the time when talking about mental health. Like, I have to make jokes. Yes. Um, But as someone who's very vulnerable and open and just honest, like you said, when people ask you how you're doing, and you're just kind of like, I'm hanging in there, you're very upfront about it, what have you seen or experienced that has been good that comes out of that? Because I know a lot of people, there's so much fear, and this is still even including myself, Sometimes as open as I try to be, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And there are also still a lot of people out there, though, who will never, who think that they'll never, ever speak up about how they're actually doing because of fear. Yeah. So what has being vulnerable and open and authentic done for you? I would say that is how you find people in your life that you will truly love. Being open and vulnerable and, and, and just, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm an open book. That is where I have attracted my best friends, my closest to friends, because, you know, because they know who I am. Like, it's not, it's not, I don't necessarily, it's not about the, what is it, the quantity of friends, but the quality, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think that it, it just allows people to come into your life that are going to be meaningful mm-hmm. because they're willing to be there with you. And in in all your faults or, you know, all of your insecurities and all of the good things. But, yeah, yeah, it really allows you to to build really strong connections. And my best friends all live in different states. It's just that's how it happens. You meet people and they leave you. Mm -hmm. Um, But you still remain very bonded. And I think, and that's really important to have. So I definitely think that is something that's very positive that comes out of just me being... Who I am, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in your face about it, because I can be. Uh, sometimes I probably annoy people, but again, oh, you know, then reframe, <laughs> reframe, ma'am. <laughs> Sorry, 
Um, but but yeah. if people do get annoyed about it, they're not the ones who deserve to be in exactly. that space. Exactly. And see, know? that's where I feel like you just like, I, you know, and I, and, and it, I think it's always allowed me to just gravitate. And usually when I meet people that I'm close, that I get a really, it's mm-hmm. like a kind of very instant, like, okay, we're bonded. Like yeah. my best friend, we met cause we lived the same kind of past life with getting married. Very, I was married right before I turned 18 to my first husband. So mm-hmm. being married very young to someone where you're kind of in a, a verbally, emotionally abusive relationship, like, you know, we just kind of, there yeah. it is. Yeah. And like right when we met and we had this bond because we had had similar experiences and we were just out telling each other how it was. And we've always been very blunt. And my closest friends, we are, we're just like, I'm going to tell you how it is because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, because it's out of love. Yeah. It's out of love. Um, yeah. But yeah. And I feel very bonded with you. And I, I was happy when you were um, confided in me and some of the things you've been experiencing because, mm-hmm. you know, I I want to be there for you because um, I know you'd be there for me. Yes. So it's like it's, it's, it's finding those meaningful relationships that yeah. I think it really comes from. I love that being <laughs> the ending. Yay. Cool. Thank you so much for being so open and and raw and vulnerable and authentic and I think I mean I already know that being those things does have an impact on people because I've gotten to see it face to face like even in treatment or just I mean theater I think goes hand in hand with that like being real on stage is is received by the audience and when people come up and talk to you afterwards you know that what you gave was received yeah so I think experiencing that in a in a real life scenario where there's no make believe and there's no storytelling, it's just your story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm really excited to see, or even not see, because like I can't see everyone who's listening. <laughs> you know, I can't see all of you guys. So, but I know that there are going to people be people out there who are very encouraged and impacted by what you shared today. Oh. So thank you for pouring it out there for us. <laughs> thank you for doing this. I think it's very important, and I'm proud of you. Thanks. Oh, my gosh.